What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours with Mark DeMeo. And guess what? I'm Mark DeMeo. <laughs> I'm your host. Um, we do this show periodically. It's the way the actually the whole Police Off the Cuff thing started with interview shows. And uh, that's always been my my love of doing this, too, by the way. And uh, I also have the other show on Monday nights that I do with Angel. And that is... Uh, the Week in Crime and Policing with Mayo and Meso. But this is the uh, After Hours show. And if you could see our little background there, we're in an After Hours club. Probably this is what it was like in the 80s when I was hanging out at the After Hours. But uh, what we like to do here is we like to bring great guests on and, and do a, like a, a long-form interview. And uh, the guest that I have tonight is actually returning again. Um, he's got a book to promote, and I'm very happy to have him. He's a retired NYPD police officer. He was a comedian while he was on the job, and now he's an author. And he's got a brand new book out. He's going to tell us all about it. What's up, Joe Badamonte? Hey, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me again. Badalamonte. Badalamonte. Just like Badalamonte. Don't get nervous. Just look at it very slowly and just. You're right. When I was in school, I used to have to. I would wait for the substitute teacher. You know, they had the Delaney cards, uh-huh. and their their face would get all screwed up, and I would go here because I knew they were about to try to read my name. Yeah, you. My my first name on my birth certificate is Majubanex. My name is Majubanex Sanchez. So that's actually a joke that I do in my name, like how the teacher when when they got to attendance, I went to uh, you know in the seventies everybody had nice Catholic names, Mary, Peter, Paul, and then all of a sudden is when it came up to my name, she had to go get her glasses, and she did the face like you just made, yeah, yeah. Mayo Tracknicks. Yeah, that's my name, Mayo Banex. So I know, but for me, I well, it's Badalamente. But I'll never say Badalamente. I'll always say Badalamonte. I don't know why. That's just that was very common on the job. Badalamonte. Uh, There's no O there, but somehow Badalamonte. But it's also a bunch of A's. Yes, it's all the all the vowels pretty much are there. Does it have a now, thing there? Is there a meaning to Badalamonte? I've been told two things. I've been told once by an opera singer, and another time by I believe a, a like a professor of languages, like a linguist. Uh, it either means watch me weep. Because bada is apparently the root to, to look at, to watch, and mente like lament, right? Lament oh, is sad. Yeah, that's nice. Or, or to bother the mind, like like make crazy. Oh, bother la mente, yeah. So yeah. See now, I'm, if I knew it that way, I would. I, that's the way I would say bother la mente. That's perfect. That's perfect. Because sometimes you, you people bother, think it's Spanish. Actually. I, I I would go with the bother la mente. You're bothering bada the lamente. mind. And it's funny that you, um, you know, that would be your last name because. Um, you are bothering my mind right now. You uh, you wrote a book. Uh, it's called Elvis and Me. You're gonna tell the us king about it. The, the King and Me. me. The yes, King sir. and Me. And uh, but before we do that, you you shared a story with me. Um, that's the that's the book right there. We'll get to that it. Very but, good. But we're gonna uh, before I do that, I just want to cover partner, because you shared a story with me. It was a short story that you won an award for. Yes, sir. And. Um, you know, I for, to get me to read something, I got to tell you, man. Well, I was so excited when you sent it to me at first because you just it looked like it was just two pages. So I was like, oh, I could do this. But then I realized <laughs> it was another two pages and the other two pages were longer, but it was worth every word. And uh, you're a phenomenal writer. I love the I loved it. I'm going to love the book. I can tell already. But um, thank you. So this is a, you won an award for this, right? 
Yeah, one. Uh, well, it was a contest, right? So the American Kennel Club Gazette, the AKC Gazette magazine, uh, they were running, I believe it was their 24th uh, competition, short story fiction competition. And I was just kind of Googling around looking for short story competitions. And they always tell you to look for ones that there's no entry fee. And this was no entry fee, but you had to snail mail it in. So I had this idea of a, of a cop sitting um, I guess I had listened to stories from 9-11 for 10 years, uh-huh. and uh, this was in 2011, and I just sat down one January, it was cold, I sat down and started writing, and what I was envisioning is a, like a cop at an AA meeting talking about his, his canine partner, and that's what came out, what you have there. And then later on that year, I was called and told I won the, uh, the Dog Writers Association of America mm-hmm. uh, Best Short Fiction, so technically it won two awards. Well, the story is about, and you know what, this is why I fell in love with your writing right away, because um, it's kind of sort of what I try to do when I write. It would have been very easy to start this story with what, uh, uh, I was a cop in New York City, I worked in Central Park, I was in the canine unit, and on this day, this, and that's so boring to read. Um, The way you started the story with, just look at this line. After training, we were assigned to Central Park. There's a precinct in there behind the Met Museum with a couple of kennels in the back by the garage. At least there used to be. They ripped the guts out of the place around 2005 and put cops in a temporary structure by the Great Lawn. Now, when you read this story and you finish reading it, the story's about a cop who was a K- he had He was a canine cop. He had his dog with him. And they responded to 9-11. But you didn't start that way. You started out with this, um, with the sentence uh, describing where you worked and what it felt like. And then it continues on what it was like during roll call. And, and, and most of the dogs kept in their kennels. Because, but your dog, Relic, um, you know, that was the house dog because it wasn't scared by all the noise. It, it, it chilled out, fell asleep, you know, <laughs> under the desk there. And it's, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Truman Capote. Wow. Uh, one of the best works in uh, American literature is In Cold Blood. And the first page, or the first page and a half, is the best writing that anybody's ever, ever done. And he opens the story like this. The village of Holcomb stands on the highway plains of the western Kansas a lonesome area that other Kansas call out there. The story in Cold Blood is about um, these two guys that murder a family. Mm-hmm. Um, for it's no reason. Story. Yeah, it's a true story for no reason. Yeah. And uh, Truman Capote went and he interviewed uh, both the killers and then the story goes on from there. But that's the way he starts the story. And that's the way you started your story. Is there any... Is it uh, did that influence you at all? Is that because that influenced me the way I write that that re- reading Truman Capote? Not not Capote specifically because I haven't read his book. Um, I thought the movie was great um, about ten years ago with Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, but I haven't read a lot of his stuff. I started to read Breakfast at Tiffany. That's him as well. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy and uh, Don DeLillo, Stephen King. Um, I I just read constantly. I, I try to read as many novels in a year as I can and, and nonfiction as well. And um, I think it's partly my ADD, 
the way my head thinks, even when I'm telling my a story, mm-hmm. like my wife tells me sometimes, well, go back, go back. What does that have to do with that? You know, that kind of thing. Just telling a regular story. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I'm a huge movie guy. I watch about 100 movies a year, at least. So it's just um, it's just luck, I guess. I mean, I it came into my head that way. Actually, the first line on that story, I think, is um, uh, his name was Relic, right? I think that's the actual very first line. Because mm-hmm. Relic is based on a real canine dog that I worked with in the 80s. I wasn't in canine, but Relic was assigned to the precinct. Well, that's and, another uh, thing. I mean, the fact that you can write it, um, obviously, you were a police officer, mm-hmm. so you know the mindset, but you, you weren't a canine. No. But, it, 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 I mean, for, for crying out loud, when you get to this, uh, the end of the story, folks, um, <laughs> tell me they he was in the game. It too. It's available through my website, and also you can just – Google AKC Gazette with my name and it should pop up. But thank you, Mark. That's very, very sweet of you. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful read, man. And um, I read a lot, but I don't, I read a lot of periodicals, man. I mean, there's, there's not much that you can tell me that's going on. For some reason, that's what I'm attracted to. And I do, I dabble in other stuff too. I used to read plays when I first started acting and stuff like that. But um, as far as reading books and novels and stuff like that, that's something that's, uh, it's so, I don't know, it's time consuming. And it really has to draw me in. Um, like I like autobiographies and stuff, but uh, the way that you wrote this story, partner, man. Um, wow, what can I say? It's uh, it's it's perfect. It's freaking perfect because you. you explain Central Park, and then you you explain what it's like to have a dog as a partner, and then you explain your life with the dog and then all of a something so sudden something happens that puts you in turmoil and uh it's just and it's so short to be able to do all that uh tell that story in in such a short amount of words it's just and and it's perfect perfect it right. had to be um, one of the rules was it had to be under two thousand words mm-hmm. so the economy of words uh forced me when I was rewriting, you, you know, the phrase writing is rewriting. And I uh-huh. never, I've never found it to be more true in the last year, but uh, it forced me to keep taking out what wasn't necessary, you know, and in a lot of people who want to write, that's what that hurts them. They think it has to come out perfect. Like you're uh-huh. going to write it. And so now it's, it's all about rewriting, editing, reading uh-huh. it back to yourself, asking some trusted people to read it for you. And, and trusting that the audience will get the fact that you're a police officer without saying it. Mm. The Central mm-hmm. Park precinct was this. Oh, exactly. Because you know what I'm saying. Right? I'm the, yeah, yeah, you don't like. You don't have to say I was a police officer. No, no, no. <laughs> it's that's amazing. what I hate in movies. I, I hate in oh, films. Oh, I man. hate that too, man. They I always like park. the ones that start off in the middle. Exactly. That's what and they the tell story, you. Yeah, yeah, it builds up. You know, in writing classes, you enter late, leave early. That's what they tell you in uh-huh. scenes. Um, you mentioned influences. Uh, Gay Talese, the writer Gay Talese, um, he was his most famous work, I believe, is uh, "Thy Neighbor's Wife." In the '70s or '80s, he came out with this book about adultery, and it's similar to Truman Capote, where he writes about true stuff, but he, it's called uh, narrative nonfiction, where they stylize the nonfiction. He wrote an essay for Esquire magazine that you can Google as well, called "Frank Sinatra Has a Cold," and that essay is credited with changing journalism because he was basically reporting on Sinatra getting ready for his uh, big TV special for his 50th birthday. And um, it's incredible. It's really incredible. So that that type of writing definitely influences the way I, I think and the way I try to write. 
but you know, after a while you've written and rewritten something so many times that you uh, just have no clue if it's good or not. That's why you need yeah. some other people. Yeah, you need becomes, friends it, to look at it. It becomes mushy. Oh, you just, yeah, you just don't know. You know you like a, a, I'm going to read that when we're done tonight. Uh, let's say hello to the people that, that have kind enough to join us in the chat tonight. Hello, Ruth Ann Griffin. She says, hi, Mark. Milwaukee civilian. Uh, to Ruth Ann Griffin, how you doing? I hope Mark doesn't uh, botch this show like he did when we <laughs> went solo last week. Uh, I went solo um, a couple Thursdays ago. It was something that I always wanted to do. And um, cool. I had a fun time with it. I'm going to do it again very, very soon. London Girl, she says, hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. Gloria Fritz says, hello, everyone as well. Little Mermaid, Louisa. She says, hi, Mark and Joe. And the P.O. Uh, police off the cuff chat, Pauline Buckles, Kim Alliston, London Girl, Dana Sage, Lorna McKenzie, Bob Cosmic. Good after good after morning from the big <laughs> smoke of London, England, UK. I heard that you guys wow. are getting hit with a they're getting hit with a heat wave over yeah. there. Just like we are over here. Just so you guys know, I almost didn't make it tonight. We this show didn't almost happen. We had um a, a branch go down, a tree branch go down, a big one here in the Bronx where I live, and it took out the power lines. So we had no power here during the day. I was at work, luckily, and, um, you know, I fought the traffic coming back, and I wasn't sure were we going to have to call the show or not. But Con Edison was out here, and they did the right thing. Thank you so much, Con Edison. They, they fixed it. We're up and running. So everything works out, man. No need to freak out. That's why I do my breathing. And um, we should say too that we finally met in person, right? We had never met, and then oh yeah, then, in between yeah. after we did the show first, yep, and then, and about then two weeks later, yes, yeah, was it two weeks? We all met for dinner at a Chinese restaurant on Bell Boulevard. Oh, I'm sorry, that was not nice. It was me, you, John DeResta, comedian John DeResta, and comedian yep. Steve Marshall. It was a nice time. And, and you were uh, more sexy in person than you are on camera. I just want to let everyone it's hard, know that. It's hard to believe, right? You are a big more, man. I more felt so big. safe when you hugged uh -huh. me. I felt so yeah. safe. You know that scene in Rocky Three when they jump in the water? I would like to do that with you. Oh. Just a manly, like, <laughs> uh -huh. race down the beach. I'll let you win. And then we'll jump around in the waves a little bit. You know? Yeah, I was watching Rocky <laughs> uh, Rocky uh, Five the other day. What a fucking piece of crap Ooh. that movie was Whoa. with uh, Tommy Morrison. May he rest awful. in peace. Ooh, that's man. the Godfather three of Rocky movies. That's oh that yeah, is. that that one was bad. The fight in the street. It was just, oh. what are we doing here right now? Um, Thank God he came back with the Rocky Balboa movie and the Creed movie, so he won't be remembered for the fifth one. Yeah, yeah, I didn't watch those either. To tell you the truth, those are good. Those are good. They're okay. Yeah, but listen, yeah, you didn't watch them. You just said. Uh, well, I I kind of sort of did. But then you're judging. You're saying I didn't watch them. Hey, they were okay. I, I um not the way so I would watch. I watched the 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 one that you said, the first one, the Rocky Balboa. That was yeah. Good. Pulled at your heartstrings, but listen, there's never going to be another Rocky movie. That movie yeah. is one of the best movies that. Hey, Rock, <laughs> take it to the zoo. <laughs> I that was part you. two. No, that was the first one. Uh, when he leans in the car yeah, right, and he gives him right. the extra money. Uh, right. and, and he goes, one, I already got a date tonight. And he yes. goes, yeah, I'm taking, who, who's this girl? He goes, I'm taking, uh, what's his name? Paulie. Uh, Paulie's sister. And then the other guy goes, I heard you. I don't want to say the word. Yeah, I know, I know. But, and then he goes. But then where does he ask her to marry him? Um, At the zoo. 
Oh yeah, 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 right. yeah, 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 yeah. But that was but Rocky too. That was that's yeah. about me. That was Rocky yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, who else do we got? Lorna McKenzie. You mentioned Kathy Bates. Did I mention you? Who else? Uh, Peter Pranzo's in the house. Peter Pranzo yeah. also wrote an article, and it appeared in Newsday last week, and we uh, we shared yeah, that cool. on the last episode. Hey, look, Bill Ryan's here. Ryan Investigative Group. Yeah, hey, Billy. London girl in the house. So everybody's here, man. This is pretty great, man. I'm really, really excited. Nice. So we were talking about Partner, this wonderful story that you wrote that won the uh, you won a contest with it. And um, so you write that, but also you have all these other stories going on in your head. Like, for example, the book that you just wrote, The King and Me. That's something that it, it, it came into your head. What year was that? 85? So I was, no, 95. My wife 95. and I were driving cross country to New Mexico uh -huh. and we stopped in Memphis and I'm, I'm a fan, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fanatical fan, but I'm a fan. My mom was a huge Elvis fan and we stopped at Graceland and it was about a two hour wait and it was as hot as hotter than it was today here uh, and much more humid because it's Tennessee in the summer. And so we just drove on. She wanted to wait for my state, but I said, I will be back. We've never been back. And somewhere in the desert, somewhere around. Could I ask ago, you something, though? Of course. you. Um, uh, when you went. So you went. You were actually in front of Graceland. Yeah, we were like across the street at like a. Like how, shop, big, how, what, how big is it compared to like. Not big. Not what you think. It's like you've been outside the White House and it's much smaller than you expect it to be. It's the same kind of feeling. It's not like a huge mansion. I've never been memory, to the White House, but I, I've been to Douglaston. I've seen some of the houses in Little Neck. Um, yeah. Like one of the owners of Macy's lives in Little, ne Little Neck. I've seen his house. Okay. I can't imagine anything bigger than that. No, but, yes. So from my memory, and I've heard people say this many times, it's nowhere near as big as you think it's going to be. You know? Uh-huh. So. All right. So so you, you see the house, but the line is yeah, too yeah. long. I just didn't want to wait in the heat. Two you know, hours, we were, yeah. Right. Like, you got to get where you're going. You got to get where you're going. You're a New so, Yorker. Uh, when you get to right. a line, you, you could you could tell the fuckery right away. You're like, ah, this is going to take forever. Let's get out of right. here. Right? And I'm not going to tin my way in, right? It's no, not going to work. <laughs> hey, how you doing, guy? That guy. Do me a favor. <laughs> so uh, somewhere, somewhere between Texas and New Mexico, you have to remember, too, this was 95. So in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, all of these... Elvis sightings started happening. People were seeing Elvis at airports and diners and movie theaters. Yeah. So it was in my head and uh, it just came to me. It just came like, why not write a story? You know, and I always saw it as a movie. I saw it as a movie because I think that way. Um, kid meets him somewhere in the mountains and they decide to try to mount a comeback. And it ended up being the story. And I, and I will tell you this. What I sat down to write last August no idea this movie was coming out. No clue. And uh, the story that I thought I was going to write, this tells you about the subconscious mind, is not what came out. Other than it's some kid meeting a guy who may or may not be Elvis. That's the other thing. It's, you know, it's up to you as the reader. Um, all of this stuff came out. And a friend of mine, Lon Devitt, he uh, read the book. He read a manuscript, you know, an early draft and said, you know, you got some real powerful father-son themes going on here, and you just need to pull them out a little bit more, and that'll become the, the the structure of the story. And I I saw that he was right, and that's why it helps to have people read your stuff. So I went back in, started tweaking it, and other friends mentioned things, and I kept doing that, kept tweaking, and what we have today is uh, the 
the result of, of all that tweaking and rewriting. And it's not a it's not a big book. It's a really a novella. It's about 116 pages, which is my wife's birthday, 116. I couldn't have planned that if I wanted to. When it came back from the printer, I was like, look at this, 116 pages. Uh, let's show let's show the uh, that's the book cover right there, and it's available on Amazon. For the price of two cents, that's an unusual price. That's my mom's birthday. That's in honor of my mom because she was such a huge Elvis fan. Um, we had, you know, the famous pictures of him with the black leather suit on from uh, yeah, the yeah, black yeah. suit. That's from the '68 comeback special in my basement in Queens when we were kids. The basement apartment, she had that poster hanging up on the wall, so you had to walk by it uh, every time to go out in the yard. So that's like just embedded in my hard drive. That that whole thing. And she always watched the movies and stuff. So I did that to honor her memory. Wow. That's pretty cool. Thank you. And um, I think you, you mentioned to me that your wife did the artwork for the, the book cover, right? She designed the entire thing. She came up with the whole concept. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant, actually, because when you read the story, I don't want to give anything away, but the idea of the pink Cadillac and the color scheme and all that stuff, it's it was it was a real... Real stroke by her, you know? Yeah, it looks like a really nice cover. Um, so you mentioned... Um, now, I, I want to go back to this point. Because you mentioned it, that uh, it was 1995. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> You're doing this cross-country run. You come up with an idea in your head. And then you... Do, so is there is there like a million and one um, early drafts of this throughout the years? Do you just keep the story rummaging through your head and want to finally sit down and write it one day? What, what, um, what, and then it takes to like 2022 or 21 before you sit down and write it? So I think I attempted it maybe two or three times over that time period, um, but didn't have the maturity, the confidence, the uh, enough reading of my own. You know, because Stephen King says this, if you want to write, you have to read. You know, you can't. You, you can't do one without the other. Right. So I think it took all that time because I would I would pitch the story to people stupidly. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I have a great idea and I'm telling other people the idea and uh, I would tell people the idea and I would see the look in their eyes. Always. They would always get this look like, wow, oh, my God, that's great. I want to read that. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, when I write it, I'll let you read it. You know, that mm -hmm. type of thing. And then last summer I was at a barbecue and this retired uh, uh, Port Authority captain was at the barbecue and he was wearing a tcb charm taking care of business with the lightning bolt right mm -hmm. that's elvis's thing and i said oh you're an elvis fan and his eyes he just looked at me he said you're the first person in my life who has ever noticed that i said really he goes i've been wearing this over 30 years and no one has ever said it and it was july 26th i remember i was out at the barbecue on my brother's birthday and i said that's got to be some type of sign right that's got to be and my partner when i worked at the central park zoo uh, was a big Elvis fan and I remember telling him the idea and he's sitting in the chair and looking at me and he goes and I and I pitched it to him without saying it was an idea I made it sound like it was a movie I had seen like so that way it's not uh -huh. the judgment's not the same he goes I want to watch this where is this was it on Netflix was I ah, it's an idea I have it's oh my god I gotta read this you gotta write it so the one-two punch of that last summer it finally just pushed me to the table to start, you know, and, that, and that's uh -huh. what happened. But anyone listening, if you want to write, don't be an idiot like me. Just sit down and start to write and it will come out. You will. It will just come out of you. If it's in there, it'll come out. Uh -huh. So don't wait. Uh, what is that? Twenty six years. Yeah. You know, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I have this uh, one man show that I've been 
uh, I'm writing. I'm in the process of writing. It's called Mama's Boy. It's about the relationship between me and my mom. Um, we didn't have like the traditional uh, when I, it's called Mama's Boy, ironically, because what does a mama's boy do? He calls up his mother every every some call once a week. They spend two hours on the phone. I call my mother once every three months, and it, it's always the same thing. Like I say, Ma, and she goes, Mayo, is that you? I say, Yeah. Who else calls you, Ma? Like, Oh, is everything okay? She always wants to. Are you okay? I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, I'm, you're 76 years old. I'm calling to see if you're okay. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't. She was a businesswoman. I went to boarding school my whole youth. So it's not your typical uh, mother-son relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like right, I was. Right. Uh, so that's the that's the gist of it. But you know, I'm thinking that I'm working on this now, and then I, I'm going through my computer the other day, and I and I see this thing. And it's like Mama's Boy from 2016. I never realized that I was jotting notes down from this for this back in 2016 already. This is what I'm saying. It just it's coming out of you no matter yeah. what you do in different ways. Yeah, it's gotta come out. But yep. in the meantime, it's also building up because I'm I'm collecting these chunks. You know what I'm saying? Uh right. these uh, adding these jokes, and it's just piling up. The jokes that just keep piling up. Until it's going to be, I, I have enough jokes to do an hour show of just this relationship with my mom. And but, a lot uh, of stories, too, I would think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's yeah. tons of stories. But the also, too, is like I try to, like, pigeonhole two things together. And I started thinking to myself, I don't really need that second story. I can just, just build up enough stuff with this. Um, somebody put Milwaukee civilian, Trumbo Capote, a great writer, terrible person. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know a lot about Truman Capote except for uh, what I saw in the movie. And, uh, you know, the guy had a, an alternate lifestyle, especially at that time. I'm sure it was a difficult lifestyle for him to lead. But sure. he was in that elite category. From what I've seen in the movies, all I know is just that a freaking first page and a half of In Cold Blood. I challenge you. Give me another piece of literature that is that freaking good. He describes... Uh, what was it, Kansas? The the fields. I think so. I think so. Yeah. The, the, how you can uh, how the fields were like you can mm -hmm. see like that a mountain for miles and um and the way it opens up it makes you wonder like why would you what how did this murder even happen? Right. You know, like in this area, that's that was the whole purpose of that opening. I um, like when you described the, the 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 theme of the book earlier. I meant to say this, but I didn't want to cut you off. Uh, you said he murders the whole family for no reason. Mm. Like if there was a reason, it would be, mm. you know, was, well, you know, they they cheated him on his taxes or something. So he murdered the whole family. Well, but, I mean, they're, they're poor people living in the middle of freaking no, I, Kansas I in the middle of nowhere. And what are you going to steal from them? They actually stole nothing. Really? Got, nothing I, mean, I mean, like if, if it was three dollars, maybe it was three dollars. These people uh, didn't have nothing to steal. And Robert no Blake did an incredible job in that movie. I uh -huh. saw the movie years ago. Really, uh -huh. really good job. Yeah, yeah, because he was the he was the guy that uh, Truman Capote supposedly like fell in love with. Oh, really? Yeah, because be, between the back and forth to the, um, the that's where the mental illness comes in. Like this guy's like uh, creating a relationship with the prisoner. That's what the movie was about. With um, he was phenomenal in that movie. That Hoffman. actor. Yeah, Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Capote was probably trained as a journalist too. 
just like the guy I mentioned, Gay Talese. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. the, and that that could be where the, the description comes from too it's not just typical fiction it's more like i when i retired from the job i went to work in banks doing money laundering investigations so you're writing reports all day long and that i feel helped me too because again the economy of words you have to get to the point like a 49 right the, the police form mm -hmm. right there for people who don't know uh, who what when why and where right just boom 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 boom, boom. nothing take out anything extraneous, nothing doesn't mm. matter. And some people prefer that type of fiction that's more flowery, right? Like the Jane mm. Austen type stuff or, um, but I tend to like more like Hemingway and things like that where it's just to the point. Cause it could still be beautiful in, in, in just in a different way. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm like a to the, you know, that maybe that's the New Yorker in me, but I'm like, mm. you know, I, I, give me the facts. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. Give me everything. I want to know right now. Don't waste my yeah. time. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Uh, let me see what else we got. M Milwaukee civilian Cormac McCarthy is one of the America's best writers. Very disturbing insights into the human character. Yep. I'm reading one of his novels right now about a brother and sister who have a baby. And then they leave it in the woods to die. Oh, really? It's not a comedy. It's not a comedy. Um but the road, his his masterpiece, I believe, is the road. He won the Pulitzer for that. Um, they made it into a movie with Viggo Mortensen about ten years ago. I say uh, that's probably my favorite novel of all time. My favorite novel is The Road, and my favorite movie is Raging Bull. What does that say about me? How dark can we get? Yeah, uh, you know what's funny is I was watching um, a documentary on Jake LaMotta, and one of the things you know, Raging Bull is pretty much what most people know about him but when you watch the documentary on him you realize okay you know he did he did robberies you know he was a thug oh, yeah uh, yeah, yeah. He was before uh, was it what's the prison Kaksaki. yeah that's where he learned how to fight in prison like they don't talk about that in the movie and no, um, the movie starts off he's already the he's already fighting yeah, the, yeah, yeah. he's and a he's, contender already you wonder yeah. why he's got this chip on his shoulder but you know he was a he was a street dog. He fought because uh, he wanted to for the money and, and, and to get laid. But um, <laughs> he was in, he was in jail with uh, Rocky Graziano too, the other fighter. Okay, uh, yeah. was in middle middleweight. And Lamada was the real deal. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that part in the film where he says to Sugar Ray uh, Robinson, "You never knock me down, Ray." They fought like, and they would fight like every eight weeks. Like these guys, there was a lot that of fights. Guy. Yeah, they fought a oh, lot. They had like seven, eight fights a year. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this, um, I'm trying to see this, this girl, has, she said, uh, Dana Sage, Mark, what's your favorite book and movie? You know, if I had a, my, I always tell people my favorite movie is from, from here to eternity. Um, speaking it, of Sinatra, it covers a lot, but the, you know, if I had to pick like one other than that, and I have a whole list, I would say Saturday Night Fever. It's a great movie. Um, a lot. It's so underrated. You know whose favorite movie that was too? Uh, Siskel. Yes, he I bought the suit. Him. Yes, I mean that's right. there were so the many, so many great lines in that movie. Oh, it's fantastic. Father Frank Jr. <laughs> and uh, the <laughs> give, woman... give me a dispensation because he wants to. <laughs> he means he means yes. an abortion, Father Frank Jr. And then he asked the girl, uh, if. If you went out with a girl, you know, and you got you got pregnant, what would you do? Like, well, who was the guy? It was like, 
me then yeah i get rid of it <laughs> yeah so the next time you watch the movie um somewhere along the way travolta's girlfriend died in real life right oh so yeah yeah they say that the rest of the film the, the gravity of his acting was so affected and it made the performance so much better because mm -hmm. he was in mourning he left to go to the funeral whatever he did and then came back to finish the movie and it's pretty powerful yeah i think she wasn't she from uh the the boy in the plastic bubble is that where they met maybe that's that's a good one could that be. was remember the boy in the plastic bubble i mean oh, oh my yeah. god that was, was there a, a TV freaking movie because <laughs> anybody in our chat remember the boy in the plastic bubble <laughs> the whole seinfeld episode about that yeah yeah the boy the bubble boy i just yeah, saw that the boy. other day uh donna's uh Bocia says i love the artwork on the cover joe you mentioned um in your last podcast your wife was an artist uh, Subarasi. No, She's a oh, painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She works mostly in uh, oils. Uh, her landscapes, to me, are my favorite thing that she does. Um, she just won a huge award at the Salman Gundy Club in Manhattan a few months ago. Um, it's the oldest art club in the country, and uh, it was a bucket list thing for her. It was very exciting. You know, she's incredible. I'm very lucky. Yeah, I, I have this theory that nobody, there's nobody walking around that's really good at something that doesn't know they are. Like, there's nobody walking around that can sing really well that doesn't know it. You know here's what the a, fuck you're good at. You know here's the saying? thing, though. Uh -huh. Having lived having lived with an artist for 32 uh -huh. years, 33 years almost, uh -huh. um, it's they're more tough on themselves than they are. Yeah, but are. She, she was doodling really well. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She's and always collecting and collecting all the oh, you should be a real artist for years. Uh, like she yeah, yeah. she started training young. I mean, she went to the uh, school of visual arts, that's where she got her degree. Um, but the art, in my opinion, a true artist is tougher on themselves than anybody any critic could ever be. That's uh, my point is that there's nobody walking around really good at something that doesn't know it. We all try everything, and then you find some like there used to be this kid on my block, he could spit really well. Like and, and kids used to come and uh, even adults from everywhere to watch like, and to battle him and he could spit from one side of the avenue to the other. <laughs> he used to just go and then <laughs> and shoot a rocket and then and, you know it was the thing people bet money. A lungi, yeah, lungi battle, yeah, and uh, he figured it out. The problem was that you know he was only like 12, 13 years old at the time. And this really was before no the internet, folks. This was before yeah. the internet. This is what people did on the streets of New York. There was Played no in money. fire hydrants and had lungy contests. There was no money to be made in it. So he right. just he just did his heroin, and that was the end of his career. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I don't know if he was a heroin guy. I love the girl. I remember, I remember spitting competitions. There you go. Long jump spitter. <laughs> Look, I struck a nerve. What can up? you just Dana says because she says, can you describe the book in one sentence, Joe? In one sentence, it's a uh, I would say it's a coming of age story that blends our cultural obsession with conspiracy theories and uh, our obsession with fame and fortune. That's what it's about. It, it's it, it's it's both things and the coming of age part. It's a, it's a kid whose dad has left when he was very young. So he's got that father wound, that deep father wound that so many people have. And he's looking, he's looking for something. And it's also, um, again, 
did not plan to do this, but it's also a story of recovery. Um, you know, like on the job, we, if you're lucky to have some friends recovering, uh, mostly obviously alcoholics in the police department who've been through it, who've been through some really serious addiction issues and have gotten better through, you know, 12 step programs, spirituality. And so, you know, that's what I wove into the fabric of the story. Like what would somebody be like who had gone through what, what Elvis went through and addictions, that type of addictions, not just addictions to drugs, addictions to fame, addiction to women, addiction to food, everything right across the board, addiction to attention, the attention that this man had. And how do you, how would you overcome that? How would you, what would that person be like a decade later uh, having not, and I don't want to use the word beaten the addictions because I don't think that's the way addicts talk about it, but that they they have it under some type of control. And how do you do that? How do you keep that monster in the basement? Um, and uh, I guess I'll find out how successful I was at, at uh, weaving all those elements together throughout the story. Um, well, you already got a bunch of great reviews. Yeah, I was uh, I was very wait, 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 lucky wait, wait. to get those uh, those blurbs. Is that it right now? Yeah, here we go. Reviews. You got yeah, a bunch of people. Sweet. The one I was impressed with. Look, Chris Mazzilli. Yep. Founder of Gotham Comedy Club. From the moment I picked up The King and Me, I could not put it down. Great story, great characters, a cinematic must-read for the fans of The King. And Scott Fellows leaves one. Joanna Beckson, the acting teacher that I've taken classes with, that, uh, with as well. The King and Me will touch your heart. Joe's wit and humor will keep you smiling at the possibility of meeting a fantasy come true. So she's a sweetheart, Joanna. Yeah, yeah. She, she, did you take her Meisner course? Is that what you did with her? What I did with her was I auditioned for uh, parts that I had auditions for. Oh, so you went to her for like a coaching session? Yeah, so if I had a big audition, I'd bring the sides there and we'd go over them and we'd work, break it down and and, uh, and then I'd go in there and get the part. <laughs> so... The way I, I met Joanna, I was about 34 years old. I was doing my one-man show. I was writing it, rehearsing it, and my friend Stephen Harris, who's the director of the one-man show and co-wrote it with me, um, he was friends with Joanna. So he gave me her number, called, you know, she gives away a scholarship for every Meisner class that she does from September through June. And I didn't really realize I was auditioning for the scholarship when I spoke to her on the phone. We spoke mm -hmm. for almost an hour. And at the end of it, uh, you know how she speaks, sweetie, honey, honey, sweetie. Uh, she gave me the scholarship to study with her. And I, not to sound corny, but I really found her class to be like uh, a spirituality lesson. Like all, all the stuff about how Meisner teaches you to listen, to listen to the other actor, what they're saying. Be in that moment. Get everything you need from them. And that's what Buddhism teaches, right? Everything is in the moment. Don't, mm -hmm. don't think about the past too much. Don't think about the future. Try to stay in the moment. And I think that somehow Joanna weaved her magic in her classes. And that's how it affected me anyway. And we've stayed friends ever since. And I was very grateful that she was willing to write that for me. It was very sweet. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, a person to have review your book. She's, you know, she's a famous acting coach. Uh, yeah. She so. taught Ray Romano, uh, Darren Aronofsky, the director. And too many stand-up comics to name. I mean, uh, Greg Giraldo, uh, so many people. Uh, she's she's fantastic. Hi, yeah, Joe. Like, I know she's watching. I, but... I, I nailed a couple of uh, auditions because of, uh, 
you know, breaking down seas with her and giving me advice, and then I go in there and nail it. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? I'm looking at the chat. Uh, Phil Leo says, Namaste, Joe. Namaste. Uh, Phil Leo, would someone kindly advise me of Joe Badalamenti's book? Here we go. I'll show it to you right here. It's called The King and Me, A Rock and Roll Fantasy. And you can find it on Amazon for the price of eleven twenty-two. And that is because that is his mom's birthday. And uh, she's the one who inspired him to, to be a fan of Elvis. I grew up in a house where Elvis was always on and Sinatra was always on. My dad was uh, the Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Johnny, uh, Johnny Mathis, Dean uh, Martin, and my mom was Elvis and all the doo-wop groups, right? Uh, so it was all that. You know, obviously not our generation of music, but I'm, I'm grateful now. Like, looking back, I didn't probably <laughs> care about then, but now that uh, that's all in my head and in my hard drive, uh, I appreciate it a lot more at this age. I used to have a joke that I used to do about uh, what are the kids going to look forward to? Like, you know, when I was a kid, we used to listen to this. And what are the future kids? Fuck the police! <laughs> Coming straight from the underground. <laughs> Brother, because back, because I'm brown. That's already 25 years old, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. But um, yeah. whatever I did in the joke, it was it was kind of sort of like uh, I picked a song that um, that was popular at the time, and it was just cursing. Like, what do these kids have to look forward to? You know, this is what we had. But um, let's see. Uh, what do we got? Dana Sage, rapid fire round question. I have oh, so boy. many. Go ahead, Dana. Throw your questions out there for our guest, Joe Butler. It's a beautiful name, Dana Sage. Wow. Yeah. I think what's funny, too, is how you and I, when we finally met in person, I realized that I had met you before. But you didn't do, when you did stand up before you retired, you didn't tell the audience you were a cop. And I remember being at the the New York Comedy Club, the one on uh, the one up on twenty was it twenty second Street, twenty fourth Street, and you doing that bit, the bit about your girlfriend wanting to meet your family. Yeah, she wants to meet your family. She wants to meet your family, and you say, "All right, come on, let's go." All right, that's my wife. These are my kids. Can we go out now? Mm -hmm. you know, I'm destroying the joke, but I thought that was hysterical. And when I realized, I said, "Wait, I did see you do that bit. I just didn't know you were on the job." Yeah, man. Bits are like um, they're little gifts from God, you know, mm. uh, like one day a couple of weeks ago, I'm in the gym and there was a guy and he's putting together his do rag. And I was a little nervous about leaving my stuff in my locker, you know, because I stupid me. I mean, what, what am I going to do with my stuff? I, I, You know what I'm saying? Like, I need this. It's got my wallet in there. All this, you know, crap, whatever we carry with us. But then he, uh, when he got done fixing his do-rag, he picked up his yoga mat and he skipped out of there. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> so it just led into a whole chain of – because I work at an, a, a, an, a, an L.A. fitness in the Bronx. And it's not like um, – when you think of L.A. fitness, what are you thinking of? You're thinking of like Beverly Hills, right? Not I've never been inside one, but that's but, what comes to mind, yeah. Yeah, this is L.A., LA but Compton, L.A. You know, okay. it looks like uh, you walk out the weight where they keep the weights it looks like every scene from a prison movie that you the, the yard where they exercise that's right, what it right. looks like uh, there's white people there but you the know they yelling at each other they stick to their corner the white people and then if they want to use the squat rack there's a meeting between all the gang members and you know 
They let me, but there's a whole have, have fights oh, broken out. Have you ever seen no, that no, no, guys no. But the oh, thing oh. is, the whole string of jokes that I came <laughs> out with, just from uh, that moment, they just kept coming one after another. Right, Being right, right, in right. the sauna, uh, there's an outdoor shooting range. It's called the Bronx. You know, um, all <laughs> these jokes just get coming to me, one after another, after another, after another. And I just kept writing them down. And that's what, like, it's a weird thing. They don't come to you often. Right. You could sit down and you could write. You could toil. You could try to come up with stuff. And then one day you get a whole bit. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, 10 pieces or five pieces or three long. It's like, how the hell does this happen? This inspiration. That's why I like stand up in a way, because, you know, you get that immediate gratification. You can bring it up on stage that night. As opposed to if you're writing a screenplay, you add it to a screenplay, or you're writing a show, or you're writing a book, a novel, you know, you come up with a thought, you add it to there, but it's this whole thing of waiting yeah. for people to see it. And that's the one thing yeah. about stand-up that's good. You could just do it tonight. Yeah. Came up with a great bit today, do it tonight. You try it out, right? You throw it in between stuff that you already know works and see if that no, gets No, no, no. I put it right up front, man. If I think something really? funny... Yeah, wow. I know it's funny, man. Now, if well, at this laugh, point, you know. Fuck right? you know when... <laughs> <I'm just> yeah. <laughs> I've been wrong. Don't get me wrong. No, I was no, like, no, oh, this is going to kill right. This you is going to kill right up front. But also, yeah. too, if you've been doing it long enough, it's, if the first one doesn't work and you just thought of it, then we got, you know, I'm doing 45 minutes. I'm going to get you on the next one. You just you know? move it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, Dana says, what are your thoughts on Elvis being alive? <laughs> is that for me or for you? Uh well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I, I saw pictures of Elvis uh, and video of him right before his death, and uh, there's no way he's alive. <laughs> no, no. He'd be 87 now. I mean, if, if that was the case, I mean, he'd be getting up there anyway, 88. Uh, no, I, I, I just, it, it's that's why it's called a rock and roll fantasy, obviously. Mm. I do not think this happened. Yeah, do but I fact, think it could have happened? Yeah, it could have happened. The time that you're talking about where there was that 10 years after his death, where right. we supposedly had a lot of sightings and stuff like that. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's what... In 1977, there was no internet. There was no 24-hour news network. There's, there was no... So if if a group of people with enough money and enough power wanted to do something like this, they, they probably could have gotten away with it because then no body, no crime, right? So if you were able to do a shell game and uh, disappear for enough years and then come back in a disguise the way I have him described in the book with a long beard and a long hair. And um, sure, I, I could see it happening. I don't think it did, but I could see it happening. Wow. This Dana Sage, man, she's, she's got questions. She's like, what are the plans of the book? Is there a screenplay? And uh, we talked about that in private, but uh, tell us about so, that. So this is, this is what happened. I, I wrote this book started in last summer and by the spring, I felt confident to try to show it around a little bit. And it was with an agent in Manhattan and he wanted me to turn it into a full blown novel, you know, 300 pages. But I, I told the story I wanted to tell and more than one person has read it and said, it reads like a movie. And there's a reason for that because that's how I think. And that's what it was always intended to be. But if you've ever tried to write a screenplay, it's more tricky thing than, than uh, writing a book in, in my opinion. So, a buddy of mine read it and said, you got to get this out here right away. You got to get it out. Don't forget about the traditional publishing. The rules have changed. There are no rules anymore. Just get it out in the public view. Get it out there. You got this big movie coming out. And when I sat down last summer, I had no idea this movie was in the works. Even when they said Tom Hanks had COVID, 
They didn't say what he was doing in Australia. And I'm usually on top of that stuff, what's coming out, movies, whatnot. Uh, so what I've done in the last two months, though, is I've adapted the book to a screenplay now. So now I'm like, I think like I'm a double threat. I have the book and I also have the screenplay. So um, I'm going to start chopping it around. I'm going to try to get it to agents. And, you know, a screenplay is a different type of sale than a book is. See, I like the screenplay format. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier in that there's there's a, a lot of leeway there to leave it up to the director of course and the actor of course so yep. when it comes to all this background stuff um you know you put parking lot night um you know what i'm saying dark yep. parking lot night as opposed to building up the whole thing this is a um a gas station. There's nobody there. Uh, it closes at six. It's you know describing the whole thing how dingy it is. Dingy parking lot night. Boom. Let the other people figure that out. Let, well, I'm getting to the story right now. So for me, I like that aspect of it too. That, that you don't have. That there's not this uh, this building up of atmosphere and stuff like that. They'll figure that out when they get there. That that's why uh, I think movies are often disappointing once you've read the novel. Right. Mm -hmm. You read the novel. I read The Hunt for Red October, let's say, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you see the movie and it's mm -hmm. like, I didn't picture that guy like that. I didn't mm -hmm. picture that scene. That building didn't look like that. So that's to what to your point. And Stephen King says he only generally describes characters. He doesn't get into detail because he wants the reader to fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. He wants the reader's imagination to be active. And uh, one of the people who read my book said to me early on, one of the earlier drafts, you don't describe the characters enough. I don't know what they look like. And I realized she was right. And I went back and rewrote it. And I added some minor descriptions, you know, hair length, eye color, things like that. So that way you could put a little bit more. Again, it's rewriting. It's not writing. It's rewriting over and over and over again. So you're so sick of it that you have no idea whether it's good or bad anymore. You're just like, I don't know. Yeah, tell me if this yeah, is Yeah, because, it, you know... <laughs> When it comes to writing, and this is the the, the part, you could do fifteen pages on the the opening of a lady sitting in the chair, describing right. everything in the room and the, what right. the newspaper said that was sitting on the desk and uh, the glasses, the way they fell and the type of glasses they were. You know, it's it's a lot, man. It's That's why it's important to read, though. That's why it's important to read a lot so you can see the styles and the different ways that people do it, and over time. You, you, you come up with your own voice and your own style and mm -hmm. what's important to leave in. And you always want to keep the story moving forward, right? So every scene should, there should be something, some new piece of information, whether it's a movie, a novel, mm -hmm. a song, whatever. I mean, again, certain types of literature, the authors go off and meander for, you know, pages and pages. And it has mm -hmm. nothing to do maybe with the story, mm -hmm. but that's a choice. That's a different type of writing, a different type of story. Yeah, I think because we're New Yorkers, that we're very like, shh, shh, shh. give me mm -hmm. the, like, you know, just tell me the freak, you know, give me the facts, not so much the facts, but um, let's just cut the fat off of this. Let's just get, talk to me. Right. right. Tell me what's mm -hmm. going on. You know what I'm saying? That's what, and that's the way we tell a story here. I always tell this story. I, I have a friend, uh, I used to work with him. He's a sergeant. He was like an ADD. Mm -hmm. And I used to practice uh, jokes on him. I could tell when they were too worried wordy when he would just uh, start to drift away yeah yeah that's good you know what i'm saying he didn't even know i'm telling him a story but every time he would change the <laughs> subject or he, as it's too long because 
so is Sergeant Bozeman's looking the other way right now. Yeah, yeah, I lost yeah. him. If I lost yeah. him, I knew I got to cut something out of it. But if I could ever tell a story that had him like on every uh, every line, that's when I knew it was crisp. It was ready to go. It was perfect because yep. yep. I held him, and he he was a tough guy to get. That's what that was. What was so compelling about this story to me is because every time I was just speaking to my friend Vic on text, and uh, I sent him the link that the book had come out. And uh, he's a chief on the job now. And uh, he went nuts. He goes, I remember you pitching this to me in the 90s. Uh, we were sitting in a, in a police car and we just started talking. And again, my shame on me because the, the reaction was always that way with this story. Um, and I've really honed it. I've really learned how to tell the story very quickly. Um, but well, yeah, that's because you, you know, important. You, you got into the habit of um, the one line. Give right. me the one line. Give me the one page. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, when you yeah, get, yeah. The you have, but you have to be able to do the one line. If you can't do the one line, you can't tell. It's, you have to be able to do that. You got to right. figure it out. Um, somebody, where is it? Donna. She had a good point. Uh, Joe, are you considering a sequel? Uh, no, no. I, I, that's sweet, but I told the story I want to tell, right? And you have to read the book. I mean, the like like a story is supposed to, it builds towards a climax. And when that climax happens, it's the entire gist of what they were doing. And like I said about addiction and recovery and all of that stuff, fame and fortune. No, I, I don't don't have any intention at all. I see Peter Pranzo's uh, talking to Bell, and he says, behind the shield, more of an autobiography, Harlem Raiders, based on a true story. Uh, Peter Pranzo has a book, Harlem Raiders. And we always I've heard, I've heard of that, that book. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's based you mentioned on a true story, me. deeper, more violent, strong female characters. Yeah. So I always try to promote uh, everybody, you know, everybody who's creative and is, is doing their thing. And he's got that book, Call Them Raiders, that we had him on the show a couple, several, several times, but we always try to promote it as well. Uh, Vito and Tanucci, do you have any more ideas for future books? Oh, yeah. I have. I'm actually working on a, a, a screenplay, though, right now. A, a lot of stories, but this is a screenplay. Uh, it's NYPD-related. It's about a cop having to come back to the job after an extended period of time. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it. I've learned my lesson. I don't tell ideas too much out loud. But, yes, I am actually currently working on a new, on a new screenplay uh, right now. Thank you. Yeah, man, it, I have – if I told you I have three, I got five. You know, yeah, no, it's true. Got solid, solid stories. It's just, um, I have this, um, it's a fear, man, of being homeless. So it keeps <laughs> me, it keeps me working. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like my, my yeah, schedule yeah. is so jam packed right now. I write when I can and I put everything together when I can, but uh, I also got to make money, man. This city, it's such a catch 22 living in this city because you need, you know, uh, Somebody told me you're the poorest rich guy I know. Mm. <laughs> like you make, how much money do you make? And you never, you know, you're always, because you always got to hustle. Yeah. There's always, especially if you have kids, you know? Yeah. No, uh, Dana no. Sage, can you give us a summary of the plot from start to finish without giving away, obviously? Yeah, I guess. So um, the man known around the world is the king, Right died in his in his uh, uh, Tennessee estate in the summer of 1977. And then within 10 years, people were spotting the same guy all over the country in Canada. 
And um, this story imagines one such encounter. Um, a young kid is up on a camping trip with a bunch of his friends, and they come across a guy in the middle of nowhere in the woods in the most uh, sparsely populated county in New York State, literally the most uh, in the Adirondack Park. And the kid comes to believe that this guy is Elvis. And they have a conversation, and he kind of admits to him that he is. But it's also open to your interpretation. Like, is the guy a nut? Is he just an impersonator? Like, it's up to you, kind of. And then uh, he shows up at the kid's college three months later and says, hey, uh, this is, I think you were right. I think I should make a comeback. He shows him a newspaper clipping, and it's the competition each year in Vegas. And he convinces the kid to help him get ready. Kid has a little bit of a background in music. And that's literally the character, the kid. He's never called by name. The narrator is never named. And uh, they go on this road trip across the country, four days uh, to Vegas, and then the competition begins, and that's all I got. So um, a lot of, a, a lot of there's, a, there's a saying, you're a little piece of everyone you've ever met. So I, I know rereading it now, I see it. I see the influences of all the storytellers that I love, whether it's uh, Martin Scorsese or Sylvester Stallone or whomever it's it's all in my opinion it's all in there because it all percolated in my head for so long there's no there's no what's the expression you stand on the shoulders of giants whenever you try to do anything artistic or anything at all mm -hmm. you have a whole bunch of people behind you that you're kind of taking inspiration from so yeah yeah you do you it. listen the, the person who's talking about being original original means that you you're what original means is uh, your originality in picking out, like, for example, if you're going to make a playlist for right. music, that's where you become an original. My playlist is going to be different from yours. Now, if I sit down to write music, okay, original music for me is going to generate from the people that I mostly had the right. playlist from. Your influences. So th th those influences are going to dictate you know, my writing style, my, my comedic style and all this, uh, uh, whatever you do artistically. And that's what, that's where the originality comes from. But to think that you're going to sit down there and come up with something that, you know, nobody's ever done. No, it's, it's, it's past that point already. You right now you have to give it up for the people that, you know, and try to kind of sort of put them all together and be well, who, the best. who are your stand up influences. Who did you feel? I mean, you know, when I started doing stand-up, I became a connoisseur, man. I can go way back. So there's so many. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I could, I love Bob Newhart's joke about oh, yeah. King Kong on, you know, and everything's over the phone. Um, you know, he, you can't hear what the other person's saying. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. He's, you, you know, he's like, yeah, he's kind of big. And then... Um, so then you fast forward. I mean, Dice, major, major influence. Um, you know, obviously there's Richard Pryor in there. Um, I don't think yeah. I could ever. Like, for example, there's comics that you admire, but if they don't have anything, to, like, I never saw Eddie Murphy and say to myself, oh, I could do that. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? But when yeah. I saw Dice, I was like, this guy has my sentiment. Like, this is right. the way, I, you know, this is the way I was thinking in the 80s. This is the way me and my friends used to talk. So um, that's. You know, there's different, you know, you could, uh, and then there's uh, Bill Hicks. I mean, oh, you want to be, you want to be Bill Hicks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, 
people don't know who he is anymore. You know, it's a shame, but he died in 92, I think. Pancreatic cancer. Yeah, I mean, it was a way to tell a joke. And uh, that, that art of joke telling right now is lost, by the way, because everybody wants to tell you exactly how they feel about something. No, right. the idea was uh, to, to tell the joke and in the middle there, squeeze it in somewhere. So you're like, oh, wait, what, what the fuck happened? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I still write like that. Yeah. I still, that's still the way I have a joke about um, critical race theory. And like, the only reason why anybody knows about critical race theory is just because we had to go to Zoom for school. Nobody gives a shit about what your kids are learning in school. I never did. I never paid attention. I just wanted A's when they right. came home. You know, right. if I went to after school program and I'm like, ah, what are they doing? Ah, you know, some drag queen reads some stories on the weekends. I'm like, oh, that's fucking great. I wish I could make it there. But, you know, I got the work <laughs> thing to do and, uh overtime and stuff, you know, but so all you want is A's, right? But the problem with getting A's is you always get that little, little tricky math, you know, yeah. that I can't keep up with because I didn't do trigonometry. All right? Right, right. But if you gave me a class like reading comprehension instead of we get rid of the trigonometry where they're going to never use. Give me that uh, critical race theory. Put it right. Because what is it? It's reading comprehension. You read it from top to bottom. Uh, and you read it with your kids. So this way you both learn. You look at it. You go, OK, we're going to read it from the top. All white people are uh, A, racist, B, evil, C, the devil, D, all of the above. Based on what we read, what do you think? D, right? And then you give you your child. Uh, <laughs> and the whole point is it's, you don't know, I started off one way, but I finished another. It's like, uh, you know, obviously I'm against it, you know, but um, it's true in a lot of ways. It's like, uh, we're all involved in what the kids are learning right now, but half of us are full of shit because we never knew what they were doing in there anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sorry. I got a grasshopper jumping around on my laptop over here. All right. So uh, living, living up in the, in the suburbs. Well, we got to wrap it up here. Donna, another um, Joe, I'm sad to hear that you don't plan a sequel. I thought there was a story that could be continued to be told. Great development of character. Yeah. That's somebody who's read the book. Thank you. Oh, uh, so thank you. Once again, let's go back because we've got to close out here to where we can find this. And um, it's on Amazon, folks. It's on Amazon. Beautiful artwork. It's called The King and Me, a rock and roll fantasy, a novel by Joe. How great is that, that you see that? It feels, name, really, it feels really your good. Your enthusiasm has motivated me. Oh, I, good. You know, just I could feel how happy you are. Um, that you got this out there, man. You told your story. That's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. feeling, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a feeling of like um, contentedness because, like you, lots of ideas, lots of stories in my head, and I'll pitch my daughters and my wife over the last, you know, since they're little, and it got to the point where they were like, okay, yeah, you know, and I, I don't blame them. You know, my girls, they'd be like, and my, my poor wife, she's been hearing these stories for thirty something years. My daughters would say, oh, yeah, OK, right. Yeah. You're not going to write it. You're not going to write it. It's easy to pitch it. You're not going to write it. Well, I wrote it. So mm -hmm. I wrote one of them at least. Right. So it feels good. And if I could just say to anybody out there again, just mm -hmm. sit down like to borrow from Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just sit down and start. You have no idea. There's a famous quote, the Scottish Himalayan expedition. When you decide to take action, things will happen 
that you have no control over. Things will come to your assistance. People will show up. It's just not, nothing that you could ever predict. So I'm going to give start. you an idea right now, and you're going to thank me for it later. Okay. All right. But I say turn this into a one-man show and do all the characters. You're right. I hate it. <laughs> At least you're right. And you no, know why? Because fault, you but... have the novel. You have the screenplay. Yeah. But if you really want to pitch the screenplay, do a one-man show, play all the characters, and uh, that's it. Somebody's going to give you money for the screenplay. You know, as, yeah. as long as you got it in your back pocket. Look at Chaz. I can see, see what you mean. Yeah, I Chaz has mean. been touring with um, Bronx Tale, Bronx Tale forever. Yeah. You know, that was his baby. And I, I it, it kind of reminds me of 20 and Out, like my show. Like, um, it wasn't nowhere as good, obviously, as uh, the Bronx Tale, but it was my one man show. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of mm -hmm. I feel like I let it go a little bit early or than I should. So now I'm thinking, should I do a 2.0 version of it and add some new stories? But these are constant thoughts in my head. You know what I'm saying? But that is a great way for you to to even for people who don't read or people no, who read it. and they want to see it up on its feet. Yeah. And to see that every single thing that comes out now, there's a book version of it. You could either write a, uh, do the one man show of it, and also um, do the movie of it. No, I appreciate the thought. It's um, I'm already exhausted thinking about it. Um, but what you just said about even people who don't read, I have to tell people who are listening, it's 116 pages, and people tell me it's a very quick read mm -hmm. and it's very cinematic. So if that helps you, if you're on the fence about trying to read it or not. Uh, hopefully that helps. Well, it was not we Moby went, Dick. No, <laughs> we went over tonight, but uh, it was easy. It was easy. I didn't even see the time go by uh, to all I the people that uh, let's say good night to all the people that uh, tuned in. We'll, uh, let's go back. Uh, we got Peter Raquel Pranzo. I didn't even say the hello to Raquel tonight. Chick Eastwater, Phil Leo. Um, who else? We got London girl, Bella Amrest. Is somebody actually watching from London? I think so, yeah. yeah. It's available on Amazon UK, the book, as well. Um, they can't get it from our Amazon, I don't think, but that's cool. Do you plan on going to, back to Graceland, Vito? Antonucci wants to know. Yes, for sure. I may do it over the next few weeks, actually. I may take a ride and kind of replicate at least part of the trip that's uh, done in the book, uh, the road trip. I love I love going down to that area. I love uh, the food, the music. Um, haven't been to Nashville or Memphis in, since that time, since that 25 years. And I know it's changed a lot. So, yeah, I'm thinking about doing it soon. Yeah, man, I'm happy that I had a chance to help you with this. And I hope that everybody that's tuning in tonight um, in the chat and people that are tuning in on uh, Anchor FM and are going to watch it on YouTube will definitely pick it up. It's $11.22. Um, and you have the uh, is there a, a voice version of it as well that you said there not, was a different yet. not yet, but there is the uh, the ebook is available for four dollars and 22 cents. And those are my two daughters' birthdays, July 4th and April 22nd, Kiara mm -hmm. and Dana, Dana and Kiara in that way. And it's if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited, uh, people subscribe. I'm not sure how much per month, but they know who they are. Um, you can uh, read the book for free. So, hey, listen. Tell your daughter, Dana, if she wants to chip it, uh, sit in on future interviews, she can help me out just in case I miss a question, okay? 
Okay, well, she's a, she's a, she's a publicist. That's yeah, what she she's, does. She's been helping me along with this interview. <laughs> Why don't you ask she, him this? I didn't know. See, I, uh, honestly, I didn't know how much of the the book you wanted me to give away. Yeah, well, was, I don't want to uh, give away obviously the the ending. Now. Yeah, I so I didn't want to uh, like really go too much uh, too much into the book. Yeah, uh, of course, of course, ruins but, uh, why I read it then, right? Yeah, I mean, you give away a lot. You know, you give away a certain amount, but people got to be also be interested in it. Yeah, uh, you know, they got to. So anyway, so uh, the king and me. Uh, Donna Dana keeps saying uh, it's part two, but she wants a part two. But the King and Me part one is out right now on Amazon, and I want to thank you, Joe, for uh, giving me the time, gracing us with your presence and the new book. And um, and you're always welcome to come back. You know, thank you, buddy. Appreciate and I hope it. we get a chance to work together on something. I'm, I'd love to like just do a scene, man. Just one scene. We could both write it together, and uh, maybe we could do a one act play. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, let's talk about it. Hour. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a good idea. Let's talk about it. I actually have an idea of, uh, for a play like that, like two cops in the locker room after a shooting, and they're waiting to speak to the uh, the reps outside about what happened. That's the kind of thing I want to do. I want to yeah. do something, um, yeah, like that. Okay, let's, let's think about it. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, another episode. We'll be back Monday night with uh, Police Off the Cut. Oh, no, Monday night is what? It's uh, the week in policing and the crime in policing with Mayo and Meso. But on behalf of myself and uh, Joe, thank you and uh, have a good weekend. And I'll be back. See you Monday. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, buddy. All the have best. Good, good luck with the book, man. I'm thanks. Thank uh, I'm happy that much. I could help. Thank you. <laughs>